Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to see you here this evening. And as well, those who are joining us on Zoom, we welcome you. Evening, as said this morning, we welcome Kirk Sinclair with us, and he'll be uh, bringing the word to us. But first, uh, the scripture reading and to lead us in prayer, brother. Good evening. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. We'll read down to 3 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, that's our key verse, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Christ's sake, And you'll remember this next verse from Gary this morning, verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And you'll notice that in the next hymn that we sing, it has the same theme as the first one, bring them in. The next one's bringing in the sheaves. And we sang that when I was growing up. And I have a a mental picture of a family, an agrarian family, I guess, if you think, if that's the right word for it, living on a farm. They're harvesting and they're working together. And at the end of the day, they're tired and they're dirty, and they don't say much, but they're happy and they're content because they're together working for a common goal, and that is to fill the coffers for the next for the winter that's coming. And they work together to bring in those sheaves, to, to store the shelves so that they can derive benefit from it. And, and today, our theme is going to be about the community of God, and we're going to be talking about the common goal that we have, the common task that we have. Let's pray together. Father, with great joy, we acknowledge that your compassion is designed to bless all those who are trusting in you. And we thank you, Lord, that we enjoy the benefits of salvation in this life. The, uh, the pleasure of knowing you as you open your word to us in the pages uh, of scripture, we find uh, who you are and what your desire is for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not only saved us, but you have enabled us to serve you in mighty ways, individually and as we are together. 
And Father, we, we pray that we might look at ways where we may be most effective in our working for you. Please let the church, Berean, be a church that is effective for the furtherance and extension of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that we might be doing things right and effectively and according to your perfect will. We pray, Lord, that you would energize us and excite us so that we can carry the gospel message with us wherever we go and that every situation may be a situation where we can shine the light for you. And so this morning, Father, we or this evening, we ask, Lord, that you bless every part of this service. Help us to, to look at these various aspects of sharing a ministry together so that we might be effective for you. Father, we pray that, that minds would be undistracted and focused on the word and that we would have yielded, submissive hearts tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Again, brother, welcome. Lord bless as you, you open the word to us. Thank you, Real. If you still have your Bibles open to where we did the reading, you'll be uh, on safe ground. While your eyes are open and your Bibles are open, looking at, uh, at that passage, look at verse 1 and you'll see where I got the title for our message. We have this ministry. 2 Corinthians 4.1 And I already gave you a little bit of an intro. I, I want to, and you, you'll notice that I've been focusing on issues of the Christian community for us, particularly at, at Berean at this time. We're, we're searching for a pastor. We're hoping to fill the position. But for now, we're, having, uh, we're filling the, the preaching roles with resources from within and guests that we know as well. And this is a time I think that we uh, really ought to turn inwards to look at the health of our community as a, as a healthy body, serving each other and blessing and encouraging each other. And so that's what the design of this message is tonight. It is Paul talking about his call to the ministry and in the context of 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, the larger context involves us all as yoke, yoke bearers, co-laborers in this great commission that we have to, to bring in the sheaves, to bring in those who are in darkness about God and the gospel. And we exert a certain influence, don't we? When we walk through the world in our places of work and in our communities, in, in the, the times where we're together with others, people listen to the things that we say, that, that we say. they watch the things that we do. And if they know that we're believers, they're watching for different reasons than they would normally watch. And, and so we're always active missionaries, all of us. We may be active missionaries while we're riding the bus or while we're waiting for the bus or while we're at school or while we're pushing a shopping cart down one of the aisles at the grocery store. We're always witnessing by the things that we say and do. And if people know we're believers, they're watching us in that context, understanding that this is a person that claims to be a Christian. So we need to show the world what Christian living really is, what, what a real Christian does and how, they, and how they believe, provided that we're giving a biblical example. And maybe I can help with that tonight. Let's join our hearts together in a, in a word of prayer. Father, again, as we turn to your, your word and we look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul and to see his priorities, we understand that... Uh, that there is a focus to his activity and that, that focus is, is a, 
to impart a correct gospel understanding and, and to encourage the believers to, 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 uh, to go out and carry that message and to, to perform the functions of a church together. And we pray, Lord, that, that uh, we may follow in, 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 your foot, in, in Paul's footsteps, but according to your perfect plan of how a church ought to function and operate. And, and Father, we want to do this effectively. So bless us to, to undertake this task as something that is ours and something that is shared between us. Bless us uh, as we look to, to the word tonight, Father. We pray that you impact our hearts with this message and help us to enter this new week with a renewed hope and a more defined uh, idea of what our call and purpose is as part of the community of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks at length about his ministry and in chapter four, the theme of his call to ministry is, is discussed. And there's the key verse again that I would like to show you just so that you can, you can identify the various parts of it because I'll explain what the main sections of this, uh, this message is tonight. Well, it's all on your sheet there. So you'll see five headings there. But... Uh, the verse itself is, is 2 Corinthians 4.1. And you'll notice that the scope of this entire message is drawn from this one verse. And we've broken it up basically where the commas are here. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy and we do not lose heart. Those three parts. It's our shared ministry and we have received mercy and we do not lose heart. So the, the four things that I, I can uh, define now uh, of what Paul speaks of. Uh, it's, it's true. Uh, uh, Paul speaks of four things about his calling that are true in every calling to serve the Lord. So that would be in our calling too. Those four things are, and you'll see them there, cognizance of our calling, the compassion of our calling. And I've got it here defined as courage, but we're going to break courage up into two headings. One is the fearlessness of our calling. And the last one is the faithfulness in our calling. And I hope that this is a blessing to all of us tonight as we group together to, to uh, take part in, in this, uh, this shared community uh, commission that we have together. So Paul begins, therefore, since we have this ministry. Now, it's quite clear that Paul knew his calling. He shared his calling everywhere he went because his calling was the calling to establish churches and to reach the world with the gospel message. So Paul knew his calling well. In fact, he, uh, you can recall when he was converted, he was knocked off his horse and, and uh, blinded by a light. Nobody could explain this. Paul's friends couldn't see what was going on, but he met Jesus Christ. We talked about this a little bit this morning when we talked about Paul's calling. And so there's a little bit of, a, of an overlap between those two. In fact, Paul's whole life was, pre was preparing him for his apostolic calling. And in the morning class, we, we looked at the various, uh, the authority that the, uh, uh, the apostolic calling has built in with it. Paul was a, a scripture writer so that 
the words that he wrote were the very words of God, but they were in his hand. And in, uh, even though he had someone else write them, you could you could read uh, you could see by reading it that Paul's fingerprints were on it. So Paul's particular brand of uh, there his phraseology and, and and his understanding. Yet they reflect the very sentiments of God, and it is our inerrant, infallible word that we have and that we trust today, written by the hand of Paul. But Paul's knowledge of Greek customs especially fitted him for the calling as an apostle. There were three main areas of Greek culture back in the day of Paul. There was, of course, Athens, Greece. Then there was Alexandria in uh, in uh, Egypt. And then there was uh, Tarsus, which was where Paul was from. And of course, his knowledge of Greek custom helped him to Everything that Floyd took us through about the travels of Paul and the destinations that he went to, he was familiar with the culture. Not only the culture, but the languages as well. Knowing Greek and Hebrew, and and uh, I, I imagine there was other, he may have known Aramaic as well, uh, but his mastery of the Gentile languages helped him to, to be understood and, and to... to uh, uh, to, to make expression uh, according to whatever language he encountered. And we were able to see uh, many times, especially toward the end of the book of Acts, that even Paul's Roman citizenship was an asset that he used in his service to God. And, and it was very surprising that the, the, one of the men who laid hands on him that was going to arrest him uh, had to purchase his citizenship. But, but Paul uh, made it clear that he was a Roman citizen and uh, uh, and so he was, uh, well, he was spared the whip more than once, I think, on that, uh, uh, because of that knowledge. Now, the New Testament word for church is ecclesia, and that word means called out. And so what it implies is that we all share a common call in this ecclesia of Berean Baptist Church. And so we all can, and we should all know our calling, uh, and, uh, and so that's kind of part of what I want to uh, to go over today. And um, I would say that many don't know their calling because they become distracted from the business of the world, the busyness of the world. We find ourselves, uh, uh, they w- we would like to, to perhaps set up a, bi- a Bible reading program or a, uh, a devotional in the morning and that type of thing. But something always seems to come up that, that causes us to put things off for a few days and we never quite come back to it. But there's, there's a parable that I think that we should turn to, to, to look at, and that's the parable of the sower. Uh, it's, I, I usually call it the parable of the four soils, but it's, it's the one with the seed landing in the different places. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13? And I think it's a good place for us to start is right there looking at the parable of the sower, or you might know it as the parable of the four soils. And uh, whenever I read or teach this parable, I'm never quite sure whether to read the parable itself or Jesus's explanation of what the parable means. But I think today I'm going to read them both. So a little bonus tonight. So we're going we're gonna to go with Matthew 13, three, uh, 3 to verse 9, and then we're going to hop over to verse 18 and read down to 23. Matthew 13, 3 to 9. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. Jesus speaking here, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then jump down to verse 18. We're going to read five verses starting with verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. This is Jesus now in private. He's interpreting this parable. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away or snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now I'm sharing this parable with you today, not with with regard to the way that a person hears the gospel and then the gospel is taken away from them. But I'm talking about this parable as it relates to people who hear the gospel and become believers, but they become unfruitful because of the cares of this world that, that make them that way, that steal their productivity and they steal their fruitfulness. In the parable of the four soils, Jesus warned that the cares of this world and choke out the gospel message so that it becomes unfruitful. And that's what the danger is here. This is a very busy world. We're doing a lot of things that are very important to the world. And we don't have the time for God. God wants us to have no doubt about our calling. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter two, verses eight to 10. And it gives us a a general statement about God's will for our life. Someone comes up to you and they say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. Well, maybe this would be a, a bit of a clue here. Ephesians two, eight to 10. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. And here's the key. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is why we were saved, to do those things that God has reserved for us. To do those things that he has specifically set for us to do. We have a role in his work. We have a role in the work of God. And it is our responsibility to have a good relationship with the Lord. And 
to grow in grace and to understand all about who he is and his nature and to understand what he expects of us and to understand things pertaining to the future. And so all of these things require us to have a good knowledge of his word. It's our manual. It's our, it's, it's our education program. It's, it's our curriculum for equipping us to assume the, the calling that he has from, from Ephesians 2 verse 10, given to us to walk according to. So, so God has he set us up with faculties. We can read, we can listen, we have hands and feet to, to go places and to do things. And God wants us to use our faculties to take the, uh, the word out of, off the page and into our hearts and minds so that we can use it so that we can have it with us to be the wisdom for us as we walk through this world. We've got to get the Bible off the page and into our hearts and into our minds. And so I urge you to read and study the Bible and do it daily and, and, uh, and, and, and have a plan and, and, and resign yourself to it and guard the time and you will grow in grace. Anyone I've talked to who, who talk about their early Christian lives before they began to read the Bible, it was like a holding pattern. Nothing was really happening. They weren't learning. They were asking questions. They were sitting through, through sermons at church and, they were, and they, were, they were missing the message. They were not getting it because they did not understand. But what happens when, when a person decides that they're going to set apart time to spend with the Lord? Then that's the time that a person reports to the Lord shuts out the world. And that's the time that they spend alone with the Lord. And the Lord will teach you the word. You don't have to be a good reader or a fast reader. And, uh, and you're submitting to the Lord and he will continue to bless. And, uh, and that's why there, there are several reading plans at the back. I recommend a reading plan because then it's orderly and, uh, and you get good, good coverage of the Bible and you're able to grow in grace that way. We need to pray together as a church family. We need to come out on, when, on Thursday nights and we need to pray as a church family. What that, when the prayers are voiced, we, we, we get to see and sample the priorities in our group. We hear the prayers articulated. We say amen to them. We agree all of the interests of the church are represented. And, and God's, uh, the mission that he's given us comes out in the prayers. And we can, we can hear that people are engaged and they're involved. We need to pray together. Now, knowing the calling, knowing our individual calling is the same as knowing the will of God for our lives. And it's tragic that there are many who do not concern themselves about the will of God, for they are more concerned about doing their own will. And, and, uh, and as I said, this, is a, this world is a busy place. We're filled doing a, a bunch of things that are priorities of the world. And we have to, we're constrained to do that. And we, we, we struggle against that. But we've got to find the time to make a routine with God. And it's true that some avoid their calling. They're unwilling to serve perhaps in humble places or to do things like that. You know, I'm not, uh, th- this will come up. Uh, people, uh, they don't want to serve in certain ways. But if you want to serve and just the job that you want is not available, well, uh, that might be a good problem, I guess you'd say. They would rather perhaps serve in a position that is visible to 
everybody, maybe something that is recognized and appreciated, you know, not a thankless job like, you know, cleaning or something like that. Anyway, something that is that that uh, underlies all of this for all of us, because we're all yoke bearers in this common task, is that we we have a commission both within and without the church. Uh, within, uh, we edify one another with our gifts as God blesses and equips us, and without, we share that common great commission that that uh, we bring the gospel influence wherever we go, and uh, and this is this is where. We're called to make disciples and people interact with us and they may, be, they may see a strength in us and they want that. And then we just tell them what it is that they want. That's, that's a knowledge of God. That's the gospel. Did you know Jesus died for you? And, uh, and this, is, uh, this is what makes the gospel attractive. People see that, uh, that strength uh, in us, the strength that is not our, our own. So we have the two tasks. We have within to edify each other with our gifts and without when we take and we exert influence in this dark world, a world that needs to know the gospel message. They need to know God. Now your calling may be without publicity or praise from men, but that doesn't mean it's not your calling. And our calls are, are all uh, different. They might be, uh, they might be similar but they're complementary in the sense that what what uh, someone else here at Berean uh, uh, does well, no one else does well. Or what I may be better at, uh, nobody kind of fill, fills that role quite the same way. But there's a design in that, you see, because then we can work together and we can cover all the bases. Cognizance of our calling, and that's recognizing our calling and knowing what our calling is. And now compassion of our calling Compassion of our calling. Do you remember the, the middle part of uh, chapter 4, verse 1? We have received mercy. We have received mercy. And I like to describe terms of uh, grace and mercy. You can think of both of those as, as love. Uh, grace is the love of God that he shows us by giving us something that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. What's mercy? Mercy is the love of God that God shows us by withholding from us something that we do deserve. And so that's the difference, grace and mercy. Now, God has given us mercy and the mercy he has given us is fitting us and including us in this plan, in this calling together. Paul recognized that his calling was, from, was of the mercy of God. Uh, we don't deserve God's mercy. We know that serving him is a, is a privilege. And, uh, and furthermore, what, what this means is that God has called us and he has given us mercy, uh, it, it means that we're not indispensable. God can raise up uh, servants. Uh, um, something perhaps that they're, they're so important that God could not get along with them, but mercy certainly refutes that kind of an attitude. Uh, God can raise up servants anytime that he desires. And uh, you might remember Luke 19 when they're entering Jerusalem and uh, the religious leaders tell Jesus to please Tell your servants to, 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 to not praise as, as loudly as they are. You know, Luke 19, 37 to 40 says, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem here. Uh, 
verse 38, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven uh, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So God doesn't really need our help. Uh, Another verse I wanted to share with you is uh, uh, a bit less known. uh, Daniel 7 verses 9 to 10 that speak about the the immense resources that God has at his disposal. Daniel uh, chapter 7 verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. It's wheels of burning fire. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And this is what I wanted to share with you tonight. A thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot of zeros. So we may have talent and skills and great endowments, and we do. But these are gifts of divine mercy. And we're all, you and I are both receivers of gifts. That's what we are. We're fountains that are continuously filled to overflowing by the gracious mercy of God. And that's that's why we are able to serve the way we are. I'm trying to synchronize my uh, flipping of the slides here without missing anything. And of course, because we're, we're endowed with gifts, there's never any room for boasting. Romans 3, 27 and 28 says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Salvation is a gift, a gift that I have received and I'm thankful to God for his mercy. Compassion in our calling. And lastly, instead of one point remains, there's actually two. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, introduce the section before we show you that slide. The next section of the verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 is, we do not lose heart. And this is pertaining to our courage in our calling. Now there's two lessons in this. We must continue to, to press on obediently without shirking or without quitting. Now the prophets are people too. And they've been, they've, they, the call to a prophet is not something that, that anyone really would want. And, and when I look at their lives uh, and what they were called to do, to stand between man and God, that's a stressful place to be. And in a sense, we're, we're neutral and, and all of the, uh, uh, the conflict has been taken care of. Christ has come. He has said, it is finished. He is sitting at the right hand of God. Everything that needed to be done for our salvation has been done. And so we don't have to be on the front lines like the prophets were. But I want to look at the lives of a few of these men. Moses, to begin with, let's turn to to Numbers 11, uh, verses 14 and 15. 
And uh, this is one, one uh, part of, of uh, Moses' sojourn where he was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. If you think of the throng that followed him out of Egypt and, and into to, to the, uh, uh, the wilderness, it, it must have been two and a half or three million people. And they brought two and a half to three million problems to Moses, perhaps daily. I'm not sure. I don't really know uh, how any man could could see the, 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 the problems that Moses had. But Numbers 11, 14 to 15, this is Moses. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. And that's Moses. Let's, uh, let's look at uh, Jeremiah. Uh, let's look at Elijah first. Elijah. First Kings 19, one to four. First Kings 19, one to four. Now Elijah has just had a showdown on Mount Carmel with 400 or 450 prophets of Baal. And God has in a great demonstration shown who is the Lord by by sending fire down to consume uh, the sacrifice that he had doused with water. And, uh, and then rain comes on the land. And then, then we have 1 Kings for, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 4. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he arose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah gives the message he's supposed to after being swallowed by a whale, finds himself on a beach and dries himself off, goes to Nineveh. He preaches the very simple message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And what happens? Nineveh repents before the Lord. Jonah is angry because the Ninevites were enemies of Israel. And so here's what we read. Jonah 4 verses 1 to 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? And I'll just stop there because what he's talking about is, I know, Lord, that you're gracious and that you're going to forgive an Israel, uh, an enemy of Israel. And I don't want that. I want them to get what's coming to them. And so that's why he was angry there. So uh, I'll start at verse two. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so that's the attitude of the prophet. And so 
we're seeing into the mind of some of these prophets. And I, I, I added Jeremiah in at the last minute here. And, and I did so because they call him the weeping prophet. And when I, when I see the trials of Jeremiah, I feel for him. I just feel for him. Listen to a few of the things that he says. Jeremiah 9.1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah 13.17. But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. His heart was breaking for his people were being led off into captivity. Jeremiah 14, 17. Therefore you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke with a very severe blow. I'll read a couple of verses from Lamentations and then we'll move on. But you can see the theme here and the, the very dark place that the prophet is in. Lamentations 1.16, for these things I weep, my eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. And lastly, Lamentations 2.11, my eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. Courage. Courage is what we need. But you can see in every case that they prayed to the Lord and the Lord ministered comfort to them. Never forget that we're fragile human beings. We're mostly water and a few chemicals, (laughs) but we're made in the image of God. And, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the last verse that we read today uh, tells us that we're, uh, just a moment, I better go back there. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And this verse is, it's, it's interesting and it's thought-provoking. Here's the verse, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may, of, uh, may be of God and not of us. I, I may have been described as many things, but I don't remember being, being described as a, a vessel or a vessel of clay. What is it that we contain? It's the priceless gospel of God in jars of clay, in us, fallen men. And that's the privilege that we have. We're carriers of this precious gospel message to the world. May God bless us in the things that we say and do so that we can impact the world for him. Remember Matthew 28, 18 to 20. That's the great commission, right? Jesus came to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things as I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm glad that Jesus made that promise to us. And I'm glad that he made it right there because he'll be with us 
as we're carrying out the commission. Jars of clay. All right, we're finally getting to the slide now. Here we're breaking up courage in our calling to the last two points tonight, and that is fearlessness in our calling and faithfulness in our calling. Fearlessness first, fearlessness. What do we need? We need courage. We need courage. The words translated not lose heart, especially have to do with courage. Many callings require courage to do the work of God. And we've already looked at the verses, but consider that challenge that Moses had, for example, being called to go into Pharaoh's court repeatedly. That required much courage, especially toward the, the, the latter plagues, especially when Pharaoh was furious about what was happening in Egypt. Egypt was destroyed. Every one of its gods was, was humbled by, by this demonstration of God's mighty power. And if, if Egypt was going to relinquish its labor force, it would not be easy. And that's what we read. We read of uh, Pharaoh's heart being hum, hum, uh, hardened. And, uh, and, and through all of these interactions between Pharaoh and Moses, we could see Moses needing a face of flint because of, uh, of uh, who Pharaoh was. And we also read about Elijah. Elijah, he's not scared of 400 priests of Baal, but, but one, one queen, Jezebel. And, uh, and he, had, uh, he needed courage to confront her. Courage is what we need. But also faithfulness. Uh, when we talk about not losing heart, we can talk about uh, losing our faith or having our faith uh, leave us when, when uh, it's there when it's forced out by the things of the world. Many, many things might want us, might cause us to want to quit, but we must never quit. And that's, that's one of the benefits of us being together as we energize each other. We give each other courage in a sense as well. When we're separated, we cool off. It's like the story of a pastor that went to, to see a parishioner who had been absent from church for a while. And, and so he reached over and it was back in the day when they had fireplaces and he pulled one of the coals out from the fire and then the coal started to, to go out. And then he looked at the guy and then he pushed it back in and then it started to warm up and then it began to burst into flames. And so just an illustration using the tools at hand to show that we we encourage each other and we belong together in the sense that, uh, that we can help each other and encourage by, uh, by uh, being together. All right. Now, God's call to us is not a temporary duty. We're fitted to walk according to, to those things that God ha- has given us. And again, we, we think about uh, Ephesians uh, 2, 8 to 10 especially verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to be ready to walk according to those uh, steps that God has prepared for us. Now, faithfulness demands loyalty to God. And it's not, it may not be much of a challenge when it's in season, but when it's out of season, 
then you'll find that your hands will be full and uh, we need help. Of course, God is, is uh, he wants to provide that help. Uh, we need to accept bad circumstances along with the good. Uh, remember what Job said, Job 2 verse 10. He said, he's speaking to his wife now. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know what she said, right? She said, curse God and die. Hebrews 6, 17 to 19 uh, is a passage that, that uh, shows us the hope that we have. Uh, I want to encourage you tonight to take comfort because like Abraham, we have God's sworn oath as an anchor for our soul. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. I'll just pause there. It's the hope we're talking about now. This is the hope we have. Verse 19, this hope we have is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. What I'm saying is that with eyes of faith, we know that we will be with the Lord someday. He's given us that promise. That's a covenantal promise. Everything that he is backs that promise he has made to us. It is as sure as the sun rising tomorrow morning. So let's serve God now in this time, in our lives together. Okay, so where does this bring us? Basically that what I want us to do is to all of us to consider that we have this ministry together. We have Berean. We are the Berean community of believers. We edify each other. We bless each other. We encourage each other. We love each other. We pray for each other. We help each other. This is God's work. And by God's indescribable gift, we're all, we're all part of it. He's given us this. I think it's an incredible thing that he has taken fallen man, redeemed him, and then used that redeemed man to be part of his plan to redeem the world. We're part of that plan. He's using us to awaken people spiritually and to, to give them life. And we, we've got front row seats. And everyone that gets baptized in that tank begins a new life. And we see the change in them. We see the way that God is transforming their, their hearts away from the people that they were born to be. So we must determine our calling and we must serve according to our goal and or according to our call. And so we, we need to know what our call is and God will re, he'll reward us with joys every day as we grow in grace and labor together for him. Now I find when I witness, witnessing has its own reward built in. Have you noticed that? When you talk with people and you share Christ, I find that, that I, I always come away with a smile on my face. And I always find myself thanking God to be part of his great plan to reach a dying world. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for your great compassion for us. For when you found us, we were dead in sin. And Father, we, we thank you that you, you took the veil off our eyes and you made us see. And you changed our hearts and you, you gave us the capacity to have a relationship with you. And you continue to fill our hearts with your goodness and abundance. And we ask, Father, that we would be submissive to the leading of your spirit. We would be students of scripture, that we would learn uh, who you are and learn what your plan is and to learn what the future holds for us and to learn how you were able to redeem a people without going against your holy attributes. Father, teach us. We are infants. We're babes. We need to be educated. Please teach us. Teach us how to, to love each other. Teach us how to mortify sin in our lives and to live lives that are upright and pleasing in your sight. And Father, help us to, 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 to shine the light, like Gary said this morning, to everywhere we go, that we might be seen as those who have a message to, to speak uh, according to the way that we live our lives. Might we be salt and light. But Father, help us all to own this, this vision. And in this Berean community, that we might be effective for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.